It was 24 years ago, uh, next month actually, I was walking down the hallway in my church in Cincinnati and I tripped. I, I thought I tripped, looked around, made sure no one was looking at me, no one saw me, gathered myself and uh, went on. But I, it was kind of strange because I knew my foot didn't get hung up on anything. The trip was, it was kind of an internal trip, hard to explain. Well, uh, the, the next day it happened again. Well, I had been having some substantial headaches, and so I thought, well, you know, it's not, not a bad time to go see the doctor. And I went to the, the doctor. He thought it could be a sinus infection. Uh, several prescriptions later, the headaches had continued. The tripping episodes were becoming more and more common. And so he said, okay, it's probably time you go see an ear, nose, and throat doctor. And so it must have been an inner ear thing. So I saw the ear, nose, and throat doctor and a barrage of tests and several prescriptions later. And my, con con my condition continued to deteriorate. You know, it was, it was interesting because the, the tripping episodes were happening more, more and more. Uh, I would wake up in the morning and sit up in bed and the whole room was spinning. It felt just like you were on a, a tilt-a-whirl kind of thing at the... At the amusement park but they had the thing jacked into major overdrive and so everything was spinning so fast it actually would throw me out of bed and I'm plastered to the floor um, trying to figure out what's what's going on my head was banging in incredibly and, and I remember one, one morning I was uh, at a, a meeting business meeting church meeting I actually met some guys at Perkins came out, got in my car, and suddenly my vision went double. There's a road over here, there's a road over here. I'm trying to figure out which one I need to go down. Maybe I'll just shoot right down the middle. I did a stupid thing. I actually drove, tried to drive to the church office. I don't know if I closed one eye or what I did, but I got there, but I stumbled in and was banging into walls and everything else, and the admin called my wife and said, you better come get him. He's uh, not doing real well called the ear, nose, and throat doctor who said, you need to go see a neurologist. Now, now, you, you gotta know, at this point, um, up to this point anyway, my anxiety level was okay. I kind of laughed about this and joked about it, but, but a neurologist, you know, I did not want to see a neurologist because a neurologist was not going to find anything good if they found anything at all. Uh, plus, neurologists do some pretty substantial testing. And you need, you need to know something about my, my family, uh, family of origin. All of us have this, I think it's, it must be a genetic uh, defect. It's called needle wimpitis. I mean, every one of us, if you were to line up my dad and my mom and my sister and myself and my three brothers and just walk in front of us holding a syringe, every one of us, poof, poof, I've watched every member of my family pass out or almost pass out, running for the couch, laying down, putting their head between their legs, doing their deep breathing exercises. No, we, we are just needle wimps. And I knew that, that some of the procedures that the neurologists were going to do to me required some pretty intensive needles, sticking your body in places that it ought not to be stuck, and leaving the needles in for quite some time. And so I remember my first spinal tap. Oh, a spinal tap. You don't need those in your resume, right? So my first spinal tap, I, I was dreading this from the time we, we made the appointment, but I get to the, the, the office and I'd been sweating and praying all the way there, right? 
They call us back, and so I, I walk into the room. Teresa's with me as my moral support. Walk into the room and pass their tray of like nuclear needles. And, and I, I am really uh, not liking this. As you can imagine, the, the nurse with all the finesse and sensitivity of Freddie Krieger says, take off your shirt. Jeez Louise, so I take, take off my shirt and I'm going, you know what, I, I've, I've got to lay down. You remember the needle wimp thing, right? I've got to go lay down. And she says, no, 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 no. We do this one standing up. And I said, yeah, maybe you did the last one standing up, right? But this one, we're going we're to do this one laying down. And she says, and she, stand up. You know, I think this nurse moonlighted World Federation Wrestling, Bahama Mama, I think was her name, right? And so I'm, I'm all right, all right. So I'm standing up and I'm leaning over the exam table, kind of like this, and she rolls this tray thingy right there. And she says, okay, hang on to the tray. So I'm, I'm, I'm hanging on to this tray. My knuckles are white. And there were these, these little bucket things on there. And I, I asked sincerely, I said, so is this like for when I throw up? Just like throw up? And then she said, you're not going to throw up. So she took the plastic things away and she put a pillow there. So again, sincerely I asked, so is this like for when I pass out, right? Just make sure my head. And she says, you're not going to pass out. Put your head down. When Baba Mama tells you to put your head down, right? So I put my head down and I'm hanging onto this thing and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to panic. And I'm saying, Lord, in just a moment, the doctor's going to walk through this door and I'm going to come unglued. And then the doctor walked through the door and I came unglued. And I would have ran out if I could have run and if Bahama Mama wasn't guarding the door, right? But I hear him come in and he's joking and my shirt's off and all of a sudden I feel his finger going up and down my spine. Oh, hmm. Oh, oh, this is the place. Oh, no, 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 no. This is not the place, right? And so, so I'm, I'm down and all of a sudden I hear him putting on his latex gloves and, and fiddling around in his tray of nuclear needles. And, and this sounds, I know this sounds stupid. But I am really close to a nervous breakdown. I'm probably having one right now. I, I, I don't know. And, and I'm like, Lord, Lord, I've, I've never prayed for the rapture before, Lord. But you know, <laughs> this would be a great time. And, 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 and all of a sudden, I, I don't know why, but I started quoting Psalm 23. The, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's see. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still, still waters. He, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Wait, 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 wait. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, this is kind of like the valley of the shadow of death. And I will fear no evil. Whoa, baby. And I can't tell you how many times this, this scenario was repeated or would be repeated over the next several, several months. Different <laughs> medical procedures, mostly. And I can't tell you that that alleviated all of my fear, just quoting Psalm 23. But it did alleviate a lot of it. And it did manage a lot of my anxiety. Now, we find ourselves, right, in a viral global pandemic that has disrupted most of our lives. And all of us have question marks. I don't know of anybody who has a real idea of where this is going and what might be the end result here can cause some anxiety. And, and I'm, I'm not foolish, right? This is not the first thing that has happened and it certainly won't be the last thing that's happened. Perhaps you've got other things in your life, even right now, that are creating greater anxiety. 
And maybe some things going on in your life that, you know, from a, a crisis tourist, they look at that and they go, that's nothing. And you know it's nothing, but inside it's something. As Christians, what do we do when anxiety-riddled situations hit us? I've seen enough believers who take their faith in Christ during those times and pretty much shelve it. They take their understanding of the love of, of Jesus, of the sovereignty of God, and they, they lay it down. And, and really their response is not a whole lot different than the world's response. It's like, oh yeah, love of Jesus and sovereignty of God, and yeah, yeah, we'll pick that up and talk about it again just as soon as I get out from underneath this situation. Well, as believers, is that, is that, we really have no response here other than Valium or denial? Is that, those are our options. I think Psalm 23, David can give us a different prescription. And so if you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me? Psalm 23, if you don't have your Bibles, for crying out loud, you're at home, go grab it, right? Psalm 23. There's a reason why Psalm 23 is one of the most favorite texts, psalms anyway, in the Bible. You know, the, the MRI facility at Mayo Clinic is quite unique. It's like laid out as a wheel. All these spokes are, are rooms, and in each of the, the, the rooms, at the end of it, the wall's missing, it kind of empties into the hub of the wheel. And in the center of the hub of the wheel, there's this huge uh, circular um, illuminated panel where all the neuroradiologists are putting up the pictures that they just got out of the, the spokes for the different people and the teams of neuroradiologists are kind of looking at it and, and discussing. And I come out of my MRI tube and I kind of sit up and I look and probably about you know, 15 yards down, there's the, the center of the hub and there's team of, my team of neuroradiologists are looking at the, uh, my scans of my brain, and they're all talking and pointing and talking and pointing, and I'm thinking, oh, they're probably very impressed with what they're seeing there. They're talking and pointing, and all of a sudden they stop, and they all kind of turn around and look at me. I'm like, and then they turn back and they're talking and pointing and talking and pointing and talking. And then the nurse walks in, and she says, Mr. Harris, they would like a few more pictures. I'm thinking, no, 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 no. It's not, it can't be my brain. It could be something else. Yeah, I've got other things I can do away. I can't do without the, not my, not, not my brain, please. And so back in the tube, you know, and I click, click, click. And I'm going, Lord is my shepherd. I should not want, Lord is my Yeah, 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 yeah. That's easy for David to say. He was the king for crying out loud. Everyone paid him taxes, you know. They were erecting statues to this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Easy to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want when you're on top of the heap. But you know, it's interesting that the, the history of Psalm 23, now most scholars agree, it's not for sure, but most scholars agree that when David wrote this, he wrote this in the middle of a very dark time in his life. I mean, his, his grown son Absalom was, was speaking negatively about him to the commoners and, and was, was developing quite a following himself. Absalom had 
turned much of the army against his father, had, had reached into friends, David's personal friends in the palace and turned them against his father. And so D-Day came and Absalom is, is coming through the front gate of Jerusalem, coup in the making, he's heading to the palace, he's gonna take David out. David got word of this though and is skiddling out the back door with a handful of folk and, and they tell us it was shortly after that that David wrote Psalm 23. You notice what he didn't say here. He doesn't say, my bank account is padded, therefore I shall not want. Or the markets are doing well, therefore I should not want. Or my kids all love me incredibly, or my marriage is fantastic, or my health is pristine, therefore I shall not want. He doesn't say those things because he can't say those things. At this point, it's something what crisis does for us, isn't it? At this point, the only thing David had was the Lord is his shepherd. Was that enough? Well, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. What else do I need? It, it is enough. And that's really, that line is really the summation of the, the, the entire, entire psalm. But understanding that the Lord is your shepherd in the midst of anxiety-riddled situations is incredibly powerful. Just let's look at the psalm just for, for a moment. Some of the things that understanding who your shepherd is, realizing who your shepherd is, what that, what that does for you. He starts in verse two, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Understanding who the shepherd is brings about a peace in, in the midst of the storm. In, in the picture here is a, a sheep that's almost like a battle-weary sheep, right? His, his, his wool is matted, cockles in it, maybe some shock going on because he was face-to-face -face with a predator, perhaps wounded. Uh, in the desert, hungry, thirsty, just worn out, anxiety-riddled. And the shepherd takes the sheep and brings him to lush, green, soft pastures that he can eat to his heart's content, leads him beside still waters, not rushing rivers that are going to take the, the, the sheep or its lambs away that are danger. No, no, calm. It says he, he restores his soul. Now, in Hebrew, uh, soul and, and mind and heart, they're, they're almost interchangeable. They have different nuances, but the Hebrews would see an, an external world kind of in an internal world, although they never really separated in them that way. But this restoring my soul, it, it's, it's healing my soul. It's taking a, a sheep who's in the middle of a, an anxiety-riddled situation and, and brings healing into it. Not by, by suddenly having everything be fine, but just an understanding of the fact that the shepherd is with you. This is what, this is what, this is what he does. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. What, what a great text. It says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. The NIV says he will carry them near his heart and gently lead those that are with young. Gently lead those who have limitations, who can't move so fast, who are struggling. He gently leads. He's our shepherd. 
he, he, he loves us in, in, this, in this regard. It's, it's, a, it's a great verse. I don't have this one on. Uh, but, but hear me real well, because this is a great verse. This is Isaiah 26, 3. says, he will keep you in perfect peace. He whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You see this? God will keep in perfect peace. Perfect peace. The one, not because, who's going through life fine, not the one whose life is sunny for him, but the one who has his mind stayed on God, who trusts in God. When you understand that the shepherd is with me, that I serve a God who is personal, who is with me, that brings about, that brings about a peace. It also brings about courage in the midst of it. Look at, at the uh, end of verse three. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. I like that, that he leads me in paths of righteousness, not necessarily comfort. Don't know if I like that part. But he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Not just because I deserve it or because he's kind to me. Exodus 32, great text. Uh, Moses had been out of Egypt with the, with the Israelites for quite some time. They had been complaining from day one. Uh, they're walking around the desert. They're ticked off. We don't have anything good to eat here, you know, nothing but this stinking manna. Remember when we were back in Egypt, we had all these wonderful things to eat. And, and Swindoll would say that that which makes the good old days, the good old days is a poor memory. I think this is what's going on right here with these guys. I remember we had it all back then. We've got nothing but manna here. And on top of that, we've got nothing to drink here. Well, God in Exodus 32 says, here's paraphrase, he says, step aside, Moses. And he kind of rolls up his sleeves. And he says, I'm taking these people out. I'm tired of their grumbling. We're done with them. And I'm gonna start all over again with you. And Moses jumps up and kind of stands between God and the Israelites. He says, whoa, 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 hang, 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 God, 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 God. Wait, I mean, um, um, yeah, yeah, they're all blockheads and certainly deser deserve this. They do deserve it. But, but, but just, if you do that, Lord, the, the folk in Egypt, you know they're going to hear about it. And, and what are they going to think? They're going to think that you're some kind of a mean God. You brought your people out so you could slaughter them. And then, then he says this. He says, don't do this for your name's sake. The, the idea that God leads me not because I'm good, not because I deserve it, not because I've had a great week and was always there with my quiet time, but he leads me for his name's sake. His reputation is on the line for how he, he leads me and he's committed to his glory. So I, I take comfort in that. But look at verse 4. This, this is interesting. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But then look, you got to read 4 in, in conglomeration with 3. Uh, the end of 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake even though I walk through the valley of the shadow. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa hang a hand. I thought the shepherd was leading on paths of righteousness. So how is this guy on a path going through the valley of the shadow of death for crying out loud? I mean, did this guy just ditch the shepherd? Did he uh, get ahead of him? Did he go off on his own? Or is it possible that this path going through the valley of the shadow of death is in fact 
a path of righteousness that the shepherd is leading him down. Is that, is that just, is that possible? You know, God's grazing fields for us are not usually fence to fence. They're, they're mountaintops, right? And you usually gotta go down in the valley to get to a higher field that he has for us. I noticed here too the shift in pronouns. Did you see this? The first three verses, he's talking about God, talking about God, talking about God. But then in verse four, when he starts going through suffering, now he's not talking about God anymore. Now he's talking to him. No one in their right mind wants to go through hard stuff. No, Jesus said, Father, if it's possible, let's do, it, do this a different way. No one wants to go through hard stuff. Yet it's through the suffering often that it purifies our faith, that it takes us to levels spiritually that we could never achieve otherwise if we, if we respond well. Uh, Isaiah chapter 43, verses one through three. This is a great, this is a great text. I'm gonna get up here. But he says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. Now, God's not gonna waste his breath. He's not gonna tell us to fear not unless he knows that we're in a situation that Fear is going to be right there. It says, fear not. Why? For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You're mine. I'm your shepherd. He says, when you walk through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they'll not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned and the flame will not consume you. Why? Because I am the Lord, your God. It's that understanding that God is, is with us gives us incredible, incredible courage with this. When we were at Mayo Clinic, I'd already gone through a week of testing. At the end of the week, uh, they, we go see my neurologist and we were ushered into his office. He's got this real long office. Uh, we're ushered all the way to the back of his office by his desk and, and we're waiting for him. A few minutes later, he comes into the office and uh, he's got a envelope with him, but, but this is what he does. It's like out of a movie, I, I thought. But he, he comes in, looks at us, and goes, turns around, closes the door, comes up to us and sits down. I'm thinking, this is not a good sign, right? He says, uh, Mr. Harris, I've got some, some good news and some, some bad news. I said, okay. He says, the good news is your, your blood and your lungs are clean. And I didn't know what that meant, but okay, that's good, good. He says, now for the bad news. And he begins to put pictures of my, my, my brain up on his uh, illuminated panel there. And he goes through and shows me what's going on, but then he shows me the back part of my brain, my cerebellum, and he starts pointing. He's got a pointer, and he's pointing. He says, you see all of these spots? And he's pointing, and there's, there's all kinds of these spots everywhere. It looks like someone had took a handful of sand and just kind of, and he's pointing. He says, you see all these spots? And I said, yeah. And he won't even look at me, he's just staring at these images and he says, they're not supposed to be here. So it got quiet for a minute. And I said, well, what are they? And he said, we, we, don't, we don't know. I said, well, this is a question that we're all thinking, right? I said, well, 
oh, is it cancer? And he won't even look at me. He's looking at the images and he says, well, we've ruled out just about everything else. Um, but we need to go in and do a biopsy so we can know exactly what kind, so we know how to treat it. And I said, so let me make sure I, I know what's going on here. If, it, if it's cancer and it's looking like it is, it doesn't look good. What, what, is this, what does this mean? What's the prognosis here? Is it kind of uh, a year of, of crazy treatments and in the hospital and then I die leaving my wife with this huge debt? And he's still not looking at me, just staring at the images. And he said, well, there is advancements in medical technology every day. And so we, we can't determine that. Uh, next day, uh, Teresa is pushing me in my wheelchair in front of St. Luke's um, Hospital at Mayo. And, and I can't tell you that I'm the life of the party at this point. Uh, uh, depression, despair, my head is, is spinning, man. I'm never going to know my kids. I've gone and on and on. And, and it was as if God spoke to me. This only happened to me twice in my life, and it wasn't a verbal thing, but it was as if God spoke to me internally. And out of the blue, I did not expect this, but it said, hey, Mark, things are right on schedule. Now, that's, that's all. No promise that I was going to get through this thing. I actually thought I wasn't going to get through. Even after that, I thought, I, I'm still the path home to heaven. But I can't tell you for me how much of a difference that made. Again, I was still a mess. There were still lots of question marks for the future, but just the knowledge that he was with me, that this didn't catch him off guard, that he was leading through this. Oh, that, gave, that gave a courage. That gave that gave. That gave a courage. One more thing that I think gives great courage for us when we recognize our shepherd. Verse, verse five says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. He's changing metaphors here a little bit. And I know in our culture, this anointing your head with oil, this, that sounds like you know a, a blunt of a bad practical joke kind of deal. But in this culture, it, it was, just the opposite. Uh, when someone came to your home, someone that you really admired, I mean somebody that you really, really loved, someone that had great, great respect, and you, you just cared so much for them. You didn't do this for everybody. You didn't do this all the time. But when that person came to your home, you'd take a vial of olive oil mixed with perfume, you'd break it and pour it over their head. Now, again, we miss this in our day of you know, perfume, shampoos and deodorants and, and conditioners and body wash and perfume, perfume. Uh, but in this, time, this era, when they, their hygiene was not as, as sharp as ours, uh, when that would happen, the whole house would fill with this, with this incredible uh, sweet smell. And that smell was almost a sign to everybody else in the house that the one who's wearing this, that is, is that smell is what the person who anointed them with feels in their heart for them. I mean, this is something you do for someone you love. Do you notice this? You anoint my head with oil. God loves us individually. You know, years ago, I uh, was at a, a youth conference. This was years ago. Dave Busby was the speaker. He's since gone home to be with the Lord. 
But Dave was uh, a mess in some ways. He had uh, uh, multiple sclerosis. He had polio when he was a kid. He was a, a weakly hobbly, not a real handsome guy. But he, he tells this story. He said, fantastic speaker. God used him amazing. But, but he tells this story when he was in junior high, outside their, their house, by their garage, they had a backboard, you know, basketball thing. And his older brother, who just happened to be the captain of the basketball team, he and his friends, other basketball guys, would gather there every Saturday morning and play hoops. And he would drag out a, a chair and just kind of watch them play. Well, he says that one Saturday morning, they're, they're, they're getting ready to play and they're all goofing around, and, but one of the guys didn't show up, so there was one person short. So they said, Dave, you got to play with us. And Dave's junior high polio, he's, a, he's, 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 uh, he's, he's struggling. But he says, okay. So he goes and he lines up next to all these basketball player guys, this junior high, he says he tried to pop out his chest and look <laughs> like these guys that were just, you know, major athletes. And uh, his brother and the second best player were, were the captains. They were choosing up teams. And his brother won the toss. And everybody knew his brother was going to choose Brandon because Brandon was the next best guy. And if you have him, you're going to win. But his brother scanned through the guys lined up. And he looked at Brandon and he said, Dave, I choose Dave. And Dave said that he looked around, got up and just kind of started walking towards his brother, and then the last few steps, he just ran and dived into his brother's arms, just sobbing. He said he realized how much his brother loved him. And we talk about God's love for us. Um, and, you know, yeah, that, that's cool, okay, let's move on. I've gotta tell you, as a dad, my love for my kids can't be put into words. And if you're a dad, you know what I'm saying. Is it possible that humans can love our children more than God loves his? God truly does love each of us. This is not corporately. He loves the whole world and we're just a piece of the sea. He loves us. And because he loves us and because he's all powerful, his rod and, and staff, they're, they're, all of his resources are used for us because he, he holds us, because he leads us. That gives us courage at these times. Our lives are not in the hands, if I can say this, of a virus but they're in the hands of, of our Lord, who has nail-scarred hands, demonstrating how much he, he loves us. And when we understand the Lord is my shepherd, we have peace in the midst of the storm. We have courage in the midst of the storm. And one more thing, I think we have hope in the midst of the storm. Verse six says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life that shall follow, that's military term. And that means to chase after and to overtake and to capture fully. And what he's saying here is I can't get away. The Lord's my shepherd and I can't get away from him. He's going to stay my, my shepherd. We can't do anything to, to leave him. If we go on the far side of the sea, he's there. If we make our bed in hell, he's there. We can't get away from him. And then he says this, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And then, then when my life is done, after I've walked through the valley, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That uh, house, they would have understood this, the, the tabernacle or the temple. 
but that wasn't a religious icon, that wasn't a good luck charm for Judaism. That was the presence of God. And he's saying this, he's just reminding us, he's reminding himself that this is not my home. And when this is all done, there will be a time for David, for, for all of us, where he is going to take us through the valley of the shadow. And it's going to result, if we know him, in being home. That's what, that's what he says. And so let me uh, wrap this, I think, just with um, mention something to two groups. First of all, if in fact you know him as your shepherd, you are a believer, you just need to keep in mind who your shepherd is. And perhaps this season is a great time to memorize Psalm 23 and ingest it and dwell on it and meditate on it and be again awed and amazed at your shepherd who's with you. It will give you peace and will give you courage and will give you hope. Now maybe you're watching right now and reality is you're not part of his flock. You're kind of like a shepherdless sheep and a shepherdless sheep in this world is in a very dangerous, dangerous place. But the good news is you could be in his flock even today. That's what he desires. He knows you. He's created you. You know, he knows everything about you and even your doubts and, and the anxiety. He knows. And, and Jesus said years down the road, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for a sheep. And so Jesus died 2,000 years ago for you taking your sin on his back, but he's not gonna force you into his flock if you decide not to go there. But if you would respond even today to his voice, and even in your own heart, we'll take a moment to pray in a second, but to pray and say, oh, oh Lord, thank you for being my shepherd. You've been with me this whole time, I didn't even know it. But I want to know it now, and so I surrender my life now to you, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you make me new? Call me by name. He'll, he'll do that. I have no idea where this uh, viral pandemic is going to go. But I do know when it's over, there'll be something else. It was a virus, ultimately, they said, that uh, damaged the back part of my brain. Uh, knocked out my, my balance. I live my life basically on a, on a balance beam, not a lot of balance. But there'll be something else, and sooner or later there'll be this something that will take us, take us home. And we can respond in a way that the Lord is our shepherd so that with this world is watching his people right now, and if we respond with that kind of faith, God can use this, even this, powerfully, amazingly. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for being our shepherd, for knowing that this was on the calendar, God, that this does not surprise you. Things are right on schedule. May we be wise with what we do, but may we have great faith in you, not trying to conjure up feelings or emotions, but just knowing who you are as our shepherd. Would you give us the peace 
that the world would look at and wonder where that came from. Would you give us the courage, a humble courage that the world would look at and wonder what about that? Would you give us the hope that would point them to you, Lord? We, we, we commit this time to you, the future to you. Even this, this week, we pray we wouldn't wait for everything to get better, but we would use this, we would seize it. For your kingdom's sake, in Jesus' name, amen.